Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 174, recorded July 19th, 2014. Today's our 99th 90s episode. And wow. we're doing... I know, 99, right? Almost triple digits. Woohoo! This is our longest series yet. Yeah. It was a pretty big decade. Yeah. And today we're covering Starfleet Academy 10 and 11. Hmm. So continuing to have the adventure of Talos 4 and the upcoming uh, Telekinesis Wars? What's the, what's the... Telepath Wars. Telepa- um, telepathy War. Telepathy Wars. Yes. Right. Yes, this is all set up. Well, at least a good good chunk of setup. Yeah. But it also, I mean, it's not just... Yeah, it's a good story, too. At least the first issue I'm, I'm pretty maybe, stoked about. Maybe one of the better stories, I think, is this Talos 4 one. It turned out to be pretty good. Yes. Yep. And it still had a lot of... It had a lot of action, adventure, and sacrifice. Now, the second story that we're going to be covering today falls in the not-so-good category. <laughs> True. True. And maybe an unnecessary fan service issue, which I really did not like. Uh, Because of the squad's attorney, you mean? No, squad's attorney I liked. It was the the story, the the flashback scenes. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't as crazy about the second one. But, uh, yeah, I guess they had to do... I guess they had to do a courtroom um, story. Just I just thought the ending was totally lame. But um, but let's get to that later. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So shall I start, or do we have any uh, uh, I don't business? Think we, have, we don't think we have any business. So let's just get right to business. All right. No business. business. Let's just uh, talk about issue number ten, which I will be summarizing. Its title is "Return to Forbidden Planet," Part Two. Published date, September 1997. Writer is Chris Cooper. Penciler, Chris Renault. Inker, Andy Lanning. Colors, Kevin Summers. Letterer, Ken Jim Novak. Editor, Bobby Chase. Big Brain Chief, Bob Harass. The cover shows a beaten and bruised Pava, apparently unconscious, on the ground, while three Jem'Hadar soldiers with fists and pistols at the ready advance on her. Text reads, Pava, alone against the Jem'Hadar. The issue opens with an impressive two-page spread depicting the battle for Talos IV. Fleet Captain Christopher Pike, Omega Squad, and the Talosians are on one side, and the numerically superior and vicious Jem'Hadar force is on the other. Pike is giving the cadets and Talosians a rallying motivational talk while blasting away with his dated phaser rifle. Decker is thinking back on the world wind of events that resulted in them being on Talos IV in the middle of a war with the legendary Captain Pike. He thinks they are ridiculously outnumbered by the Jem'Hadar force. 
Pike tells him to stay focused on the battle and make every shot count. Pava tells Pike they cannot hold their position much longer. Pike tells her to stick to the plan. A nearby blast knocks Tiprell to the ground. Edam runs to her aid. She is all right, but shaken. Just then the Jemhadar numbers are swelling and have the defenders pinned against a rocky mountain wall. Pike calls the name Nog over his communicator. From above them a Starfleet runabout comes screaming out and mows down the attacking Jem'Hadar force with phasers firing. Pike and Decker discuss the skirmish victory. Pike says this victory is welcome, but they need to strike a major blow to the Jem'Hadar. Edam briefs them on the latest information he was able to extract from the Jem'Hadar's mines. The Jem'Hadar force was smuggled through the Alpha Quadrant as space embryos hidden aboard an unsuspecting freighter. En route, they grew at an accelerated rate and stayed hidden by way of their personal cloaking devices. When they came close enough to Talos IV, they took over the freighter and changed course directly to Talos IV. Their mission is to destroy all the telepathic races in the Federation, so their masters, the shape-shifting founders, can remain hidden. Talos IV was the best place to test out the genocidal plan due to its isolation and the extreme telepathic powers of the Telosians. If they can wipe out the Telosians, similar missions can be sent to other planets holding telepaths. This is a one-way mission, for they destroyed their freighter to remove all evidence and came down to the planet with only their weapons and the white. Edom says, that's it! The Ketracel White is the key to defeating the Jem'Hadar. The founders keep their soldiers in line by addicting them to the white. If deprived, they become crippled by withdrawal symptoms and eventually die. Pike says if they can destroy the white, the Jem'Hadar force will eventually die here, which will give them time to get back and warn the Federation of the danger. Pike is hit by a Jem'Hadar beam, which shows their position above ground is far from safe. It also shows that the pike before them is merely an illusion. The real pike is a cripple safely underground. Which is where they all need to be. Pike gets up and leads them all underground, except for Pava. He tells her to join Nog on the runabout so they can scan for the location of the white. Later in the cave, Idam is tending to Tapril's relatively minor injuries sustained during the battle. They begin to discuss the stress they are enduring and how to cope with them. They get close and Edam offers to express intimacy the Vulcan way by touching fingers, but instead Tapril grabs him and gives him a big passionate kiss. When she realizes what she has done, she breaks away and runs from Edam. He calls to Tapril and struggles with his confusion over her perplexing behavior for a Vulcan. Later, the Telosians, using their mind powers, confirm the runabout sensor readings pertaining to where the stockpile of white is located. In all one location, with three guards and inside of a force field, the force shield makes a phaser attack or grabbing it with the runabout's transporter a no-go. They decide a stealthy mission by one person to get close enough to take out the shield with a properly tuned phase modulator. Nog says he is the sneakiest, 
but Pava says she is almost as sneaky, and in case it comes down to blows, she is the superior fighter. Pike says she is right, despite all of their misgivings. That night they take the runabout into orbit. Pava is dressed in a skin-tight black hooded outfit. Tuprell beams Pava down with a hand phaser in one hand and a phase modulator in her backpack. The Telosian's mental powers project illusions that divert the guard's attention as Pava sprints to the energy barrier. She uses the phase modulator to open up a hole large enough for her to get through. Once inside, she focuses the few shots she can get off prior to discovery at the field generator and the stockpile of white. The white is destroyed and the shield generator explodes. Nog reports the shield is down. Tapril reports she can't beam Pava up. The shield generator explosion must have ionized the area. She can't get a transporter lock on anything in the area. Becker wants to take the runabout down to pick her up, but Pike won't allow it. They can't risk the runabout in the hot Jemadar zone. They only, the only way they can get to, back to warn the Federation is to take the runabout away from the planet far enough to use a subspace signal or to travel to a starbase. Pike orders the ship to depart, but Duprill asks for three more minutes for her to figure out a way past the ionization effect. On the surface, Pava is rising up to see the Jem'Hadar are also up with weapons raised. They try to shoot each other, but find the ionization effect from the exploded shield generator is preventing their energy weapons from working. Pava realizes that is why they have not beamed her up yet. She attempts to make a move, but one of the Jem'Hadar backhands her to the ground. Half unconscious, a voice tells her to roll out of the way of the next attack. Now! She does so and narrowly avoids the full force of the guard coming down on her with both of his feet. It's Astron. He's actually reading the Jem'Hadar's minds and relaying their attacks to Pava before they can physically make their moves. It works for a time. She is able to avoid multiple attacks and even land some blows of her own. But her luck against three physically stronger and plenty fast opponents ends as one of them grabs her from behind. She is lifted into the air and is brought down on the Jem'Hadar's leg. Pava's back snaps like a twig. Tuprell says the ionization has cleared enough to get a partial transporter lock, but not stable enough to bring Pava up. So, instead, she transports the three Jem'Hadar and sets them back down. The unstable lock is not able to put them back together in quite the original way. They are killed instantly in a most horrific way. They land the runabout. Astrid realizes what Tapril has done and reads that part of her thoroughly enjoyed what she did to the murderous Jem'Hadar. Tapril alone exits the ship and picks up Pava on an anti-gravity gurney. While the shocked and useless men stay back in the ship. Tapril does what she can for Pava, while Decker asks if Captain Pike will be returning to the Federation with him. Pike says no, because he is just an illusion. Pike turns into a cloud-like projection of a Telosian head. The Telosian tells them that Pike and his mate died quietly over 50 years ago. 
Astron takes over and explains that Telosians needed a way to interact with us and inspire us to do difficult things. Astron explains he did not detect the deceit at first, but eventually he figured it out. The golden floating Telosian head says that though you may all have your insecurities and doubts about your abilities, you cadets are the ones that saved Talos IV. It was you that came up with the tactics that we plucked out of your minds and projected out of the mouth of the Pike Illusion. It was your courage, resourcefulness, and courage that saved the Telosian people. Consider that on your voyage home. Days later, the runabout lands at Starfleet Academy. The infirmary is informed of Pava's condition. As they exit, an odd green alien in a medical uniform runs up to Astrund and touches a hypo to his neck. He says he has to confirm Edom was not affected by his link with Cadet Eknor. A squad of Starfleet security, armed with phaser rifles and riot helmets, take Omega Squad into custody for violation of General Order 7. The shock cadets are further shocked when Ambassador Spock walks up and states, unless Omega Squad has objections, he will be handling their defense. Next issue, The Trial of the Century and the Secrets from the Past of Jean-Luc Picard. The Trial of the 24th Century. Indeed. Indeed. I like how they threw that in there at the end. Yes. So, uh, yeah, so we get to see Jean-Luc Picard in some way, shape, or form. Hmm. Oh, I can't wait. I hope it's not just unnecessary fan service. Please, oh! Please don't be, please don't be, please don't be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this issue. So what do you like? What do you dislike? I you liked, think? I liked Pike being uh, just an illusion. That was cool, wasn't it? Yeah, I didn't see that one coming. I, I didn't either. And you know the thing is, when I think back to some of the some of the comments I made, I think you made some too. That was like, oh, how lame! I mean, how could Pike be alive after all this time? And they they don't even explain it. Ha! And and where she was, where um... exactly? Where's Mina? Yeah. Exactly. And there's there's some other ones. Um, there were there were multiple things that were weird, like like the projection of Pike firing a phaser. And possibly heading off to Earth with the cadets. It's like, how's that going to work? You know, right. if he's, you know, if he's, uh, you know, under the ground, uh, you know, isn't there like a range or something to the illusions? And the Telosians, and another thing that was odd is the Telosians never said a word to the cadets. They never directly communicated to them. It was only Pike. So it's like, right. if Pike was alive, wouldn't he be in consultation with the Telosians? And all three groups would be, you know, kind of working out what the next move are. The move was none of that happened. Uh, the Telosians never said anything. Nope. But they were fighting side by side there for a while. That's, that's <clears throat> oh yeah, they all were. Well, well, yeah, but they never. Well, actually, in the beginning, yeah, in the beginning, the big two-page spread, which I thought was very cool, by the way, nice artwork. Yeah, uh, I like how it 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 tied in with the first page. So the first page everything's happy and then the next page everybody's fighting right so yeah no ways about it there were definitely pike was there shooting apparently nothing um and then the cadets were shooting something and then uh, the telosians were at the bottom shooting their mental powers yeah it's pretty cool yeah and another thing that was kind of odd is what the he- what the heck happened to spock yeah he showed up at the end of the last issue right 
I meant to look that one up. Did I? Mm, I think he he was in the beginning of the issue. Definitely, I think we both agree on that. Where he where he receives the same mental uh, message as Edom did. Yeah. But I don't I don't remember seeing him after that. Okay. So yeah, you're right. He popped up at the end. I I didn't remember. No, he did not. But I when I started reading it, I was misremembering that he showed up at the end. But he didn't. Right. Which would explain why he's not in this issue. Right. But where is he? But where is he? And we find out in the next issue where he was, but still. Ah, so, okay, so here's my here's my theory about how writers work. So they come up with an idea, a general idea. Maybe it's only a couple lines. You know, something happens to somebody, and there's a problem, and then it's resolved. Yeah, that's typically Star Trek stories and, you know, a lot of stories. Protagonist, antagonist, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so they come up with a general structure and then an idea. Then they come up with a structure of how it's going to work, and then they start filling in details. And then if some of the details can't quite get them to the right place, the next place in the story structure, you know, they sometimes take shortcuts. You know, things that that don't make a lot of sense. Makes sense for the story, but doesn't make sense in a real situation. Um, and that's the way I think a lot of these things happen. That's why we get a lot of like little things because people have a limited amount of time to work on these things, these comics. And that's what I thought a lot of these problems were. But in actuality, the writer, um, I forgot his name, but the writer, um, Chris Cooper? No. Anyway, um, was smart enough that he had worked all this stuff out and actually gave us clues to the real mystery of, of Pike. And I, I don't know about you, but I never, it, it didn't occur to me at all that Pike would be dead. <laughs> anyway. No, I, I agree. I thought that was good. And like you said, um, they did a really good job dropping in the little hints. Right. Right. Exactly. Anyway, I thought it was good. Yeah, I liked it. Good. One of the better ones that we've read in a while. <clears throat> right. Still had its fuzzy moments, especially as far as um, you know, like you said, what was what was Pike shooting, and why couldn't the Thelosians just use their mental powers to make them see and and feel a, a mountain when there's really nothing there? You know, I I didn't really right. buy that that they could really wipe out all of the Thelosians just because they're so full of hate. That doesn't necessarily mean their their mental illusions don't work on them. It just they couldn't read their minds. Which I think we talked about last Yes, time. exactly. I completely agree. Again, when Pike was choking the Telosian, he still saw the beast. So his 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 thoughts of hate did not counteract the visions that Pike was seeing of the beast instead of the, the real Telosian. But it was when uh, Pike made it obvious that they ain't going to stop me from twisting your neck off. That's when the illusion stopped. Good point. Yep. Oh, so but, not perfect, but pretty good. Right. And I really liked the... Uh, I mean, we've talked about it before. <clears throat> the, tele- the teleporter is a incredible weapon. It could be used as an incredible weapon. Yep. And here... Yep. They used it as it and incredible and it weapon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all you have to do is just lock onto somebody's coordinates and dead. Yeah, well, and that's was that Tantalus Field. 
in um, in Mirror Mirror <clears throat> that oh, uh, the, that evil Kirk used. Right, the, the pain thing. Or no, 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 well, that would just beam them to a different another universe or something. It, right? it made you disappear. The Tantalus right. field. And, right. And I and I think in that last comic we read, it, it basically made it sound similar to a transporter in the end. Right. Which is pretty cool. So somebody disappears. Ooh, I can make your 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 people your enemies vanish. Well, you could if you beamed them away and didn't bother reintegrating them. Right. But I mean, we've seen in Star Trek the motion picture that you know just because you beam somewhere doesn't mean you're going to be all in one piece or oh yeah not inside out. Nah. <laughs> like like Spock's replacement in the motion picture. Right. What was his name? Zahn. Poor Zahn. Oh, poor Zahn. Now, what was really sad is that that Zahn character was supposed to be Spock's replacement because Leonard Nimoy didn't want to be on the show. Right. He, he, and then, so they write this character Zahn and then hire a guy to be Zahn and then come Spock's like, or McCoy, or Leonard Nimoy's <laughs> like, I'll, I'll do it. <clears throat> yeah. J- just let me uh, direct a couple of the future ones. Right. And uh, some kind of a comedy. Just let me do that and I'll come back. Was uh, three guys and a baby, or three men and a baby? That wasn't part of that deal, was it? I think that was a Paramount fi- picture, and I think part of the reason he got to do it was, you know, because of the success of Star Trek uh, Four. Right, but that uh, wasn't. But it wasn't a, you know, I think the reason why he came back for three was because he had a deal that said he would get to direct the the next two or something like that. But yeah, are you I, saying I think, that it also think, said he gets to direct one other one? <clears throat> I think it's very possible that was part of the deal, but oh. or or maybe an ongoing relationship they had. Because yeah, yeah, you know, Nemo, you did pretty good, and we want you to keep doing Star Trek films until you know you're too old. And uh, <laughs> and I think that striked up a relationship where uh, you know he was able to do maybe more stuff. So whether that was actually part of the original contract that got him to to do uh, the motion picture or not, I have no idea. Right. But. Okay. But there are examples of that. I mean, where people are, you know, maybe doing some of the Star Trek things and then they're given some incentive to do other uh, other things that Paramount is doing. Right. That's part of compensation or whatever. Yeah. Also, it's probably because they do good, good work. Good actors uh, are often involved in the Star Trek uh TV shows and movies. And it has nothing to do with necessarily Star Trek. I mean, it, that's a pretty common practice, I think. Oh, yeah. In Hollywood. Hollywood. Yep. Yeah, so just kind of side note, there was the movie Speed, Sandra Bullock. Pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. And then I did not watch Speed 2 because I heard it was horrible. <laughs> and then I watched um, uh, A Time to Kill or whatever that one is that where she was with uh, Matthew McConaughey. Okay. And it was great. She was okay. great. And I'm like, I gotta watch part. I gotta watch Speed too, just because she's fantastic. She has mm-hmm. to be great in Speed too. And it was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> and then later, I found out that the only reason she made Speed two was because she wanted to be in that uh, Time to Kill or not Time to Kill. What was that one? Anyways, that that uh, Grisham book, right, right, movie. With she wanted to do it, but the Paramount wanted or whoever wanted her to do Speed two, so. Her contract said she had to do both. Huh. Okay. And uh, 
Yeah, probably man. a delayed production of uh, A Time to Kill or whatever. Man, and until she. Yeah. I wish they wouldn't have done it. Speed Two was just so bad. <laughs> have you? Ever, did you ever actually watch it? I've never seen it. Oh. They but you know, a... oddly enough, the first. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Your thing. No, no, please. I just wanted to quickly mention because we got to get back to Star Trek. But oh yeah. Um, the first time I saw her and was impressed with her was Sylvester Stallone's Judge Dredd movie. Uh, that was Demolition Man. Or was Demolition Man? Okay, sorry, Demolition Man. Um, because she was she was pretty good as the perky sidekick. She was. And I was thinking to myself, hey, she's pretty good. Right. Yeah. You know, that whole movie, I, mean, I kept. She's just not. She's not just window dressing. Yeah, I really liked her in that movie. Yeah. But I kept waiting for the shoe to fall and her be Sylvester Stallone's daughter from the future. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, and they're kind of building this love relationship, but he's way too old for her. And right. And then I was like, and then she's going to be his daughter later. So the whole movie, I'm waiting for that one to drop. But she wasn't, so it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Nothing oogie about it. <laughs> Good. All right, back to this one though. Um, Pava with the uh, the whole Batman Bane scene. Yes. Gets her back broken. Back broken, exactly. So a little too derivative, or you're okay with it? I'm fine with it. Oh, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a good way to take somebody out. Oh, you ain't kidding, boy. Especially when somebody's physically superior to you. And you're depending upon your uh, your speed and other kinds of things. When they finally do get your hands on you, snap. Of course, you know the other way to do that. What's is that? When, is when the big guy grabs you, knocks you down, comes on top of you, gouges your eyes out, and then crushes your head like a, like a grape. Uh, you've been watching Game of Thrones? I have been. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, you won't come back from that. Bruce Wayne. <laughs> he did. He didn't want to kill him. He wanted him to. I know be broke. that. I know, and he did. He did a good job of breaking him. But I'm just saying, <laughs> more extreme than breaking a back is right. crushing your head like a grip. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention it. All right. So, um, something I thought was a little lame at the end is um, they destroyed the white, and then all of a sudden. No more Jem'Hadar attacks. Or so it seemed. So it seemed, right. So, yes. cool. Agreed. You took out the white, but it was a suicide mission anyway. So, wouldn't the Jem'Hadar just have continued fighting until finally they were rendered incapacitated with his with their withdrawals? Right. But it was like, oh, yep, we took care of the white. Okay. Yeah, I, I, mean, I was I was not sure what happened there. Were those supposed to be the last three guys, or because I didn't think that they weren't. But they not sure by acted a long like shot. it when it was over. They sure did. So they took off in the runabout, fine. But now you still got a whole bunch of Jem Hadar on Talos Four that can be harming and killing the uh, Talosians until right. they start dying. And how you know wh- how long's the addiction? Are they good for another five hours or six hours or a day? A lot of people could die in that time, but whatever. Right. Yep. No, I had the same issue. Yeah. Same confusion. Yeah. yeah. Nothing's perfect. Right. And uh, I wanted to mention one other thing. Um, 
and it was before I found out that this Decker was just a, or this Pike was just a, an illusion. Mm-hmm. But while reading it, I was like, all right, he's at this time. At the time he left, he should have been Commodore De- Decker, or I mean, I'm sorry, Commodore, Commodore Pike. Pike. Okay. And uh, okay, the so other famous, the other famous Commodore at that time was Commodore Decker, right? Uh, right. Matt Decker. So I was like, why is Pike not mentioning that he knew this guy's grandfather or great-grandfather or whatever, just acknowledging it at some point? You know, because you would think that Pike would know who Decker was. Okay. But it wasn't, it wasn't Pike. It wasn't, but the whole time I'm reading it, I'm thinking, well, I keep waiting oh, for that scene clue? to happen. Yeah, I kept waiting ah, okay. for, another I clue. kept waiting for that scene where he would mention, you know, you remind me of your grandfather. You know, uh-huh. I remember your grandfather when he was a kid. Blah blah blah. When we were kids, right. uh-huh. and then that never happened. And then when he was an oh, he was been illusion the whole time. I was like, ah, well, that explains it. Okay. Not that I think that they would have actually had that scene because maybe I was overthinking it, but you were. But, but still, it, it would have been a nice scene though if he if he really was Decker. Or, I mean, if he really was Pike, it would have been a good scene. I think. Yeah, it would have been. Calling back a little bit of history. Little, little stuff that should have happened. Right. And then you could have at least uh, acknowledged, you know, how far down the Decker line this Matthew Decker is. Because have they actually said it? Um, I think, no. Well, not the details. They right. just they just alluded to his family, right? Right. Because he was talking about how, what pressure he feels and, you know, will he be able to, uh, you know, match up to the family history kind of thing. And if we're just going to bring back random characters from the past, like Pike, mm-hmm. yeah, why not bring back V'ger and Decker? I mean, we don't know. I mean, <laughs> Decker probably got digitized at some point, you know, while he was with V'ger. Mm-hmm. And he could be there like like Elia with a, a, a digitized synthetic version of that of that person. Yeah, that would that would also be a cool storyline where Omega Squad goes and finds. V'ger and, and Decker, his his great uncle or whatever he is. Well, you know what? If they if this if the series would have went on longer, maybe they could have gotten to it. The possibilities were pretty good. They were pretty good, and they had a pretty good. Uh, I think they had a pretty good writing staff. Oh yeah. Indeed. All right. Anything else? Um. Doo, doo, doo. I thought it was a little bit lame how the uh, the ionization effect stopped weapons from working as well as the transporter. I mean, I understand the whole thing, but I thought that was a little bit magical, <laughs> which I wasn't too crazy about that. Uh, and other than that, I'm done. That's it. Well, what did you think about the fight up till she got the back broken? I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty clever. You see, you see the problem with Adam and his mind-reading abilities... That's a pretty powerful ability. I mean, there's lots of possibilities to that, and lots of possibilities for that kind of thing to be um, misused. Right. I mean, the thing about Spock's mind-reading abilities is you pretty much had to be in physical contact, and it was, you know, wasn't that easy form and that kind of stuff. So, uh, okay, you know, I'm okay with Spock being around. But this Adam guy, it's like, hmm, hmm, right. He's too. You powerful. know, I think he's too powerful. Yeah. And from what I understand of, like, when you're in martial arts and stuff like that and fighting, yeah, you don't plan out your moves mm, that far point. ahead. You're just yeah. – it's all instinct. So how would he be well, able to read 
Something yeah. that the Jemadar probably wasn't even conscious he was about to do. Instinct, muscle memory, right. Uh, that's a good point. And plus, you're always adjusting. I mean, whenever you do a physical thing like, like catching a baseball or whatever, um, you're constantly adjusting. Right. Um, and there isn't always that much lead time. Now, yeah, I, do, I, I do find it interesting how Pava is supposed to be such a bad butt, as opposed to saying the A word, um, through much of the series. And in this one, it seems like even if there was one Jem Hadar, she wouldn't have fared very well. Right. Right. So, I mean, I you know, good, there's three Jem Hadar, so of course she's going to get her butt kicked. But even when she was coming in hand-to-hand, if she didn't have Edom's help, it didn't didn't seem like she was going to do very well, which I which well, I was kind of surprising for me. She seemed to be doing okay, even before he started. Well, I mean, be, okay. So what what's the first thing that happened? She's rushing towards oh, one of them. Oh, and she gets he gets and she gets backhanded, backhanded, and she's almost out. I mean, she's on the ground, eyes closed, about to get stomped on. Um, yeah, she is. Yeah. So. Yeah, all right. So she got hit really early. Pretty early. And pretty pretty strongly. And that's a backhand. So, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I could, I, at first I thought he hit her with the rifle, but no, that was just his hand. Yeah. Not even a punch. Not even a full-out punch. And she's almost out. Anyway, um, that's all I have to say. All right. Well, let's jump into the next one and see uh, how this story wraps up. Hopefully it's really good. Yeah. All right. So issue number 11, this came out in October of 1997. It is entitled Judgment. Chris Cooper is the writer. John Royal is the penciler. Tom Wegerson is the inker. Jim Novak, letterer. Kevin Somers, colorist. Bobby Chase, editor. Bob Harris, editor-in-chief. Special thanks to Dave Ross for expert consultation. Whatever so the that co- means. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of wondering what he did now. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> legal mumbo-jumbo? I don't know. All right, so cover. Spock watches as Decker, Nog, and Tapril are surrounded by guards who are pointing at least four phasers at them. The caption reads, If they're found guilty, the sentence is death. Plus, Picard in his Academy days. So, the story starts off with Zund filing a complaint to the court hearing that not all of Omega Squad is present for. Pava is in the medical, recouping from a broken back. Astern has been drugged since they arrived there on Earth. Admiral Pradesh informs Zun that he and the other two judges are well aware of everyone's whereabouts. He points out that the hearing has been televised for Pava so she can watch while she's in her medical room and that Astern is being drugged for his own good. With that, he starts the hearing after he empties the courtroom due to the classified subject of Talos IV. So it's a little unclear whether Pava's still watching it with her doctor there in the medical room. Anyways, hearing starts with Spock defending the group, And in his opening statement, he says that he will not be disputing the fact that they did go to the Forbidden Planet of Talos IV. But he says that he will prove that they had justified reasons for doing so. First to take the stand is Matt Decker. He is being questioned by Pradesh, 
and tells the court that they traveled to Talos IV to save the lives of the telepathic race, and potentially all the telepathic races within the Alpha Quadrant. He says that the message from the Telosians was real enough, and when they arrived, they found the Jem'Hadar, and that they did what they could. Pradesh points out that nothing on the planet could be trusted, even pointing out that the cause of Pava's injuries could have been anything, and that Decker is just a victim of the Telosians' powers. Decker has to admit that this is indeed a possibility. Spock then calls a witness named Commander Zweller. Pradesh objects, but Spock convinces that Zweller's testimony will be relevant, even though he had nothing to do with Talos IV. Zweller starts to tell a tale of his younger days, back when he was a cadet with a certain gentleman named Cadet Jean-Luc Picard, also with a woman named Cadet Bantetis. The three of them are planning a trip to Ryza. Bantetis and Zweller are going to go to Ryza for the obvious reasons. Wink, wink. While Picard is going because he wants to go to an archaeological dig nearby. Before they can leave Earth, Bantetis just passes out for no reason. They rush her to medical only to find out that she is pregnant. The doctor says that the baby is incompatible with human bodies since the father was a Barangarin. He says that the baby will not make it and that Bantetis will be in a waking coma for the rest of her life. She'll be able to see and hear everything that's going on around her, but she'll be unable to react or move. He does tell the two young men, after a little bit of force, that there is a controversial genetic engineering option where they would take the baby's body and use it to splice a cure of some sort that would be then be injected into the mother. However, genetic engineering is illegal since the Khan days, he does let slip that there is a black market genetic group on a planet called Yargston. The two men leave medical, but that night they hatch a plan. Pradesh then tries to stop the proceedings. He sees no value in this testimony. But the other two judges want to hear the rest of the story. Overruled, Pradesh calls for a break in the proceedings. So during this break, Spock visits Boothby and tells the old gardener that the insight he provided is working well. We also have a page of Yoshi playing hoverball and worrying about his friend Decker. Later, the courtroom starts back up, and Zoellen continues his story. He tells that he and Picard kidnapped Bantetti's body, and they stole a ship to Yarkston. Once there, they tried to sneak into the medical lab since they had no money to pay for any of these services. They get caught, they fight with some guards, but a woman stops them and tells them that she will provide the services free of charge. Once the young cadet is healthy again, the three of them return to Starfleet. The punishment for the two men is that they lost all privileges for a year. But they were also given some gratitude since the superior officers know that they saved her life. With the story over, Pradesh asks Spock what was the reason for this story. Spock says, why don't you ask Vice Admiral Keith, who happens to be one of the judges. Admiral Keith is shocked. She never knew what Picard and Zoeller 
had done all those years ago to save her life. Get it? Her maiden name was Bandelli's. Anyways, Spock tells the court that Omega Squad should be praised for what they did, potentially saving the lives of all those telepathic races. Pradesh calls for a break while they ingest this testimony. Omega Squad meets with Pava there in medical. Spock confronts T'Pril that she is perhaps not all that she seems. Then the court is recalled into session. The judges weighed in. Keith and Admiral Watley think that they are guilty, but they should have limited or no punishment at all. Pradesh also finds them guilty, and since he's the senior judge, he's the one who gets to make the sentences. He states that Nog will be excused from the death penalty, but the others of Omega Squad shall be put to death immediately. To be continued. Well, how'd you like that ending? It's a little scary. It's a little BS. Come (laughs) on. How can Pradesh make that? make that stick but I'm huh? sorry I, I I know that's what the rule is the only death penalty on the Federation books whatever but um, you know being able to unilaterally and it may be his right to be able to pass sentence like that but clearly overriding the other judges and what their opinions were I I think this is a little forced well I mean the, th- and, and, the and judges think, did say they they think that he's guilty. They all agree they're guilty, but they you know one thought that no punishment, the other one thought limited punishment. So I mean it's kind of like they didn't even agree. Maybe because they didn't agree on the same punishment. Oh I don't no! Know. Oh come on! <laughs> it's like the, the one guy is like, hey, don't do anything to him. They did, you know, they're fine, you know. And then the then the woman says extremely limited <laughs> and then Pradesh goes yeah kill him it's like okay <laughs> okay yes they don't 100% degree but the first two guys are one thing and then the third guy is clearly something extreme and radical <laughs> uh, well I kind of got a feeling that they're not going to be killed well I well you I know that I can kind of guess that well unless does, does this series run ends with end with the 11th or the 12th issue <laughs> the 12th issue no it goes longer <laughs> exactly so we know that's not going to happen so I mean the whole thing is a bit over the top and ridiculous right so you know he's going to get uncovered as a as a Klingon or something's going to go on um, but they ain't going to die or a shapeshifter or a Romulan so I, I think the shapeshifters I thought the shapeshifter was the most likely thing but that would be too obvious Right, and the Klingon would be too obvious because he looks like a Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned but, last last episode that you thought maybe he was going to be the the undercover Romulan. Yeah, that uh, that Spock talked about. Right. Yeah, because Spock in his meditations uh, was talking, or they had brought, uh, his assistant brought word of there being a, a an infiltrator from uh, from Romulus you know, getting up into Starfleet or whatever. Right. Um, and I don't think a cadet qualifies as that. Right. Yeah. I just assumed it was the Tapril, but you mentioned that they did say high ranking, so... Or high up in the right. in Starfleet. So, no, I, th- I think I think you might be onto something. Yeah. But it just seems very suspicious that they have to drug... Uh, e- what is his name? Edon? Astrand. 
Astrin as soon as or, they walk in. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, if you if a fully functional telepath <laughs> I mean unless unless Pradesh is um Ferengi or something, um he's gonna read his mind and figure out what's going on. Wouldn't he? Well, I don't. You would think so, but we also had that Deep Space Nine issue last week or so where Troy couldn't read that Bolian's mind because the Bolian had some sort of electronic jamming. Oh, electronic jamming thing. Well, okay, yeah. good point. So they actually have established that an electronic means of jamming does exist. Right. It's just. Hmm. Yep. So who knows? But anyways, it was uh, it was it it was a little much I thought the, yeah. the death sentence and you know the one person we know who has to live because he's in the show Nog Nog will be excused the rest of you will die well yeah Can I, I, th- I thought the reason to to excuse Nog was pretty thin okay so 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 the, the Frangies are not part of the Federation right but he is so he should well yeah so okay but I'm just trying to find... Yeah, I agree with you. I'm just trying to find a justification that makes any sense at all. There's none. Go I ahead mean, and uh, Yeah, so... Okay, so he's not human. Okay, well, neither is Papa. And, um... You know, what, what ignorance of the law? Is that what it's supposed to be? Um, I think Nog's been around enough. He probably is aware of that rule. Plus, they talked about it on the ship. Right. You know, when they made their decision to go anyway. I don't yeah, know. No, it seems it like a lame excuse. Sense. Yeah, I mean, but we know that that Pradesh and Red Squad or whatever that was has some sort of motive that they need Nog for some reason. We just don't know what it is yet. Yeah. Remember they they hinted to it a few issues back. Right. When they want when they were trying to recruit Decker and they were like, uh, "Bring your bring your friend Nog along." Right. He can be used. So still don't know what for. Right. So. Good point. Good point about the Red Squad connection. So anyway, so overall, aside from the uh, controversial ending that was just there to get you to buy issue number 12, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> what did you think of the overall story, including um, the uh, the flashback? Or how about we exclude, okay, well, the, okay. exclude the flashback? So just the courtroom stuff, what did you think? Well, I thought they had to deal with the with the fact that they broke the law. General Order 7 or whatever. They had to deal with that. And a logical way to do it is uh, some courtroom drama. Plus you can rehash some of the tropes that happened in Menagerie, the original Taj, Taz episode, where the same thing happened to Spock. Or kind of sort of happened. Sure. Um, so I guess they had to do it. I just don't think... I, I just don't like what they did with it. And And the whole thing about I do think it's kind of clever that they went ahead and told a story that in, in the end somebody broke a Federation law to save one of the judges. I thought that was kind of clever. But that was kind of to bring man that what? was a, that was that was a long shot. That 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 to me was was oh unlikely you mean. Unlikely. Yeah, incro- yeah, that didn't did not yeah. seem feasible at all. But keep going. Well, yeah. But Boothby Boothby knows everything. He sure. knows all. And he apparently knows every Starfleet captain ever. So, 
um, including Spock. So, um, but I, I think it was just, I just think the courtroom drama wasn't that dramatic, and it was, other than that, I thought it was kind of lame. Right. Yeah, I didn't like the the blackmail part. So, I mean, e- even the other judge, the uh, the man, I forgot his name. Um, yeah. What is his name? Starts with an A. What, the other, uh, the other Admiral, Admiral Watley. Yeah. Watley. Okay. Yeah. So, so when yeah, so. Zoeller is telling his story and and the and Pradesh breaks and says, "I don't see any value in the story," and yeah, and. Uh, Adver Keith was like, well, I would like to hear the rest of it because it's her. So obviously she wants to hear the end of the story that they're talking about. And then Watley says, yeah, I don't see any value in this either. And then Spock's like, really? After what happened in your <laughs> sophomore year, I thought you would have a different opinion. And then he's like, oh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to hear the rest of this. Yeah. What was that? <laughs> was like, well, that was, that was blackmail. Out and out. Plain, plain and simple blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and that's part of what Boothby gave him, right? Right. I'm assuming Boothby gave him both the backstory on Keith and the backstory on Watley. But right. Wow. <laughs> yes. So what so are the Spock, chances? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it goes back to the idea that uh, number one, uh, Spock, <laughs> Spock will stoop to nut to to anything, including blackmail. Uh, which is funny. I, I think it's kind of funny, actually. Um, but also, Boothby, geez, what, what's the deal? What's he going to end up being? You know, a robot with perfect memory or something? <laughs> what, what's, what's the deal? He's, gonna, He's just a gossip hound. He can't be a normal guy. He knows too much. Anyway. Yeah, I did not like that part. Uh, I did not like that Watley has some something happened his sophomore year that that Spock's holding over his head somehow, and that right. the, Keith just happens to also be, yeah, this woman that was pregnant, and then Picard and Zoeller had to do this ridiculous story to save. Yeah, it's almost like Spock and the, the defense said, "Okay, what can we get? What dirt can we dig up on the judges?" Right. <laughs> Went to Boothby and said, "What do you got for me, Boothby?" Well, here's what I got on him. <laughs> Here's what I got on him, boss. Oh, I uh, could use that. Yes. Anyway. Right. Doesn't feel very Spock-like to me, but... Yeah, and, and where was Zoeller? Was he was he on board, you know, some ship out in the middle of nowhere? And then they're like, Spock's just like, uh, I need you on Earth because uh, you have to tell us a, a random story. Yeah, And exactly. he doesn't even tell him which story I might be asking about. Zoeller's like, well, Picard and I had a lot of misadventures when we were young, but... Uh, I think I think I know what story you're talking about. <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah. How would you know that? Yeah, it's the one I broke. Uh, some very important Federation laws. Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't even know what they're talking about because because yeah. Pradesh made a huge deal about don't tell Zoeller anything about Talos Four. Don't don't really tell him why we're you know why these people are on trial because it's contra you know it's right, classified. Right. Yeah. So how did he know which story to tell? Good question. Uh, anyways, and then the story itself—I, I, I mean, the fact that you know, yes, the doctor said the baby wouldn't make it, but he didn't really try very hard, and they had to then use the genetic material from the baby to make the yeah, cure that's, for the that's mom. Yeah, that's oogie. That's oogie. I, I did not like that at all. No. 
Yeah, but they but they said supposedly because of the genetic incompatibilities, the baby's going to die anyway. Sure. So, but still, yeah. But I mean, we've had that kind of stuff in Star Trek before. I mean, we did. Voyager did it with uh, with uh, I forgot her name, but there was a woman that was pregnant, and her husband was a different species. So okay, you know, the doctor had to do all these fancy things to keep the baby alive, and the baby became you know was born and became a regular on the show. Once Seven of Nine came in, she was kind of like the you know, the little girl looked up to Seven of Nine as a as a role model of sorts. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, on, even on Deep Space Nine, I mean, we had uh, Kira, the actress who plays Kira, um, mm-hmm. became pregnant, but they didn't want to write that into the story, so they come up with this whole transplanted baby thing, and then they, you know, so there's a human baby inside of her now, and they can't right. get her back out because Bajorans have different umbilical cords and blood vessels mm-hmm. and stuff reattached to the baby and they've done it before where they talked about different species and different okay. mothers so oh well that's my soapbox yeah Nip-nip-nip. I always thought the, uh, the the good compatibility of humans and Vulcans were kind of suspect and they've even talked about that that you know there's been some expanded universe by uh, DC Fontania mm-hmm. she wrote a novel and in the novel it talked about you know Spock was not, you know, conceived naturally. That he was uh, somehow genetically artificial insemination. Kind of, yeah. Uh, I don't think he was genetically modified, but there was some. There was some work, so they they had to do some extra work to get him in there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Which which makes sense, quite frankly. I mean, I mean, two two species that uh, developed on totally different parts of the galaxy. Well, I know, I know you're going to bring in, or maybe you will, that whole thing about we all came from the same, you know, ancient race or something. But um, right. no, I, I think there would be some real problems with uh, <laughs> with the biology all working together. Right, especially since they, you know, Vulcans are cold-blooded, humans are warm-blooded. Wait, but cold-blooded? Really? No. Don't they say that? No, McCoy says that, but he's being insulted. Oh, uh, okay, okay. So they're not really you cold-blooded Vulcan. <laughs> But they're no, green blooded. How about that? Well, green blooded too. But no, I I think I think any references to cold blooded was okay. really just slang for uh, for lack of emotion. Which makes sense. But I, I thought maybe there was a medical. I thought I thought maybe there was a little more to it than that. But you're right. Anyways, I, yeah. I just thought they they wrote the baby off a little too much, and then it was yeah. just and then they had to use it as part of the cure for the mother. Ooh, right. Yeah, that is a little bit. And then she seemed surprised about it at the end. And so I'm wondering, did they ever even tell her she was pregnant? I mean, was she was she not aware of any of that either? Or was she just not aware that... Uh, I, I'm just shocked they didn't tell her anything. Right. I mean, yeah. hey, we had to take your baby, <laughs> whether you knew you had one or not. Right. Uh, you know, you'd think somebody would want to know that. Right, and he said that she was awake, you know, it was like a waking coma where she knew what was going on, just couldn't have any interactions. Oh, that's right, you did say that. They did say that. So, so I would think that she would at least know what happened. So, was was her big surprise that they lost privileges for a year? And if that's the case, then how did she not know that because they're friends? Yeah. Oh, hey, why aren't you having dinner with me today? Oh, I lost my privileges for a year. Why? can't Can't tell you why. But it has something to do with you. 
Yeah, made the next. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't know. It was just not. I did not like that that part of the story, and it was unnecessary. And the fact that it was supposed to be Picard. Yeah, it could have been anybody. It was all. Yeah, it was all. That could have been anybody. But they put Picard in there just to, just to sell more books, probably. Oh, and then they made the stupid joke about. Oh, the hair. Yes. If your head gets swollen anymore, your hair will fall out or something like that. Right. Oh, so bad. (laughs) (laughs) And then I thought it was funny that Picard gives him an order or something. You know, they're both cadets, and he's like, "Oh, you don't have enough pips on your collar to give me orders." Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "You're wearing Wrath of Khan uniforms. There's no pips at all on his collar. What are you talking about, buddy boy?" Oh, what an incredible detail for you to come up with. You are such a nerd. But it's true. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. So what about what do you think about uh, Nichelle Nichols' guest starring role? What? In the comic. Sure. Where? At Papa's bedside. Dr. Uh, Kataba. Oh, yeah, she does a little bit. Little she like... looks a little bit like Nichelle Nichols. A young one. A young hot right. one. Interesting. Yeah. When I was first looking, I was going, no, they didn't work. They didn't work Uhura in here somehow, did they? It's like, no, she's the doctor. Oh, okay. But she kind of looks like Uhura. Oh, she looks a lot like Uhura. Maybe she's yeah. supposed to be her daughter yeah, but, or granddaughter or something? Yeah, but the name's... Okay, so the she somewhere along the line, the Kataba na- Kataba name got introduced, maybe. Well, Uhura, if Uhura got married and they yeah. switched the last name, that, that which is fairly common. Yeah. Although in in this continuity, uh, or not this continuity, but in in some of the expanded universe continuity, Ahura is still alive, and she's like head of Starfleet intelligence or something like that at this point. Oh God! So she's like M or something in in the James Bond movies. Right. I made a comment in the synopsis about you know they make a big deal the the television is on she can watch it in her room, mm-hmm. and you see the doctors and everybody looking up watching it, and then. Right after that, they're saying, everybody out of the courtroom, we're going to talk about classified material. Mm-hmm. Did that mean turning off the cameras? And if so, then his big statement about Pava's, Pava's in the loop involvement is yeah. nulled. Yeah. So either the doctors and everybody would have to leave the TV screen <laughs> and leave Pava alone, or they would have turned that off also. Right. Yep. And and what is the doctors doing for her? Are they trying to fix her back, knowing that she may be de- dying here in a few minutes, anyways, by court order, or are they just doing pain management to see if she's gonna be allowed to live or not? I think they're trying to cure her. Quite frankly, seems kind of a waste if she's if they all know I, she did something that has the death penalty. Why try to fix you? I all fine points, all fine points. <laughs> and all I have to say is, too bad Bruce Wayne wasn't around in the Star Trek era. Because Papa's probably going to be up ar- up and around in an issue or two. Right. Well, it only took Bruce about a year or so to start walking around. Exactly. Was it that long a year? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jean Pond Valley was was Batman for about a year. Oh, in the original uh, comic series. Right. What was the name? Jean Paul Valley. Jean Paul Valley. Wow. Okay. He cool. was. You know. I I always thought maybe that was a throw to Star Trek. His name being Jean. It's spelled the same way. <laughs> okay. But instead of Jean-Luc, Jean-Paul. Ah. Anyway. Okay. I have two little comments to make quickly. Number Go one, ahead. I think Nog has really been reduced to uh, in the series to a background character. Uh, Which that I'm they, okay th- with. They throw in once in a while for lame humor. 
and really not much more. So he flew the sh- he flew the shuttle or the runabout a bit in the previous issue. Uh, this one he doesn't do much, doesn't say much. Um, so that's great that they brought him in from uh, Deep Space Nine and stuff. I just don't think they're doing much with him. Right, and and his yeah his one scene in this one is wondering how they're going to kill him because he wants to know how his his body's going to be sold yeah, exactly. once he's dead. Which, and that's and that's supposed to be la- that's supposed to be humor. Yeah, so, and I, that's the lame humor bit. Right. Yeah, because they're all like, "Shut up, Nog! Shut up, exactly. Nog! Shut up, Nog!" Shut up, Nog. Even yeah. Pava with the broken back is saying, "Shut up, Nog!" Anyway. <laughs> and what's the other one? Uh, the last one I just wanted to mention is I kind of like in, liked in the end uh, Spock and T'Pril's interactions, where Spock spotted that T'Pril is no ordinary Vulcan. Right. But and he doesn't he was, quite know what. Mm, right. But exactly how much he does know is interesting. Right. He doesn't, I mean, he doesn't let on the fact that, oh, you're actually Romulan or half, you know, half Romulan or something. But how much does he need? He did, in, he did insinuate, or he did say, because of me being a half-breed, I recognize the conflict in you. So that's kind of interesting. Which so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my nerd hat on for a second and call BS on that, because just because you are biologically Vulcan doesn't necessarily mean you have to follow Sarek's teachings and be a cold-blooded, emotionalist Vulcan, because... True. As his, you know, brother, his brother was full-blooded yeah. Vulcan, and yeah. he went way off the deep end. Yeah. So, for him to just say, and maybe he got some of the testimony that, you know, she, she kissed Aster, she no, killed that those... wasn't in there. She killed those Jemadar. You know, well, you would think that he would have gotten some of the background. The kissing? Well, maybe, not the kissing. Maybe I mean, not the, fact, the kissing. The fact that he, she, she killed the Jemadar, sure, I can see that being brought up. But... but. But still, so maybe he's gotten some. She's done some non-Vulcan-y things in the past, but that doesn't necessarily mean she's not Vulcan. Yeah. It just means that maybe she doesn't hold true 100% to the ideals of being emotionalist. I don't know. Yeah, sure. I don't know where but, he's going with this. <clears throat> well, the main point is he spotted that she's different. Yeah. So wherever that source of differentness is, it's just I find it interesting to wonder how exactly. What he really knows is it just a, does he just suspect something or did he really spot something? Right. Yep. No, I liked it, and I liked how he, you know, being emotionalist, it it's like, does he know what he said there at the end? Sounds really intimidating. Where he's just when he's leaving, so I'm going to keep my eye on you very closely. Exactly. And he walks off, and you're just like, uh, yeah, is that a threat, or was it not a threat? You know. Well. I don't know. That's, again, good point. We don't know what he means, and we don't know what he really knows. But Idam knows a lot, too. So, um, and that's where this mind-reading thing gets interesting. So, um, between Spock and Idam, I think, I don't see how much longer she can keep the charade up. Right. Yeah, hopefully it comes to a head pretty soon, because I don't know how many more issues they have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well... Cool. All right, that's it for me. That's it for me. All right. Well, next week we have 90s episode 100. 100, 100, 100. Cool. 
So we'll be back to three books just for next week. So uh, we'll do, uh, well, starting next week, we'll have three books. And that'll be 10, 11, and 12 of Voyager. All right. All right. Setting them up right before they get involved into this telepathy war. Exactly. Which, now that we know that the Jem'Hadar is the catalyst for the telepathy war, I'm really curious to know how the heck Voyager's going to get brought into it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because two two totally different parts of the galaxy uh, between the Delta Quadrant and the Gamma Quadrant and the Alpha Quadrant. So, how is it all brought together? Should be interesting. Yeah, I'm just curious to see how this telepathy war goes goes across everything. Me too, me too. And we'll begin to see it in the next three issues, right? In the Voyager series. Hopefully. Yeah, because this should be, I mean, definitely they've they've started the whole telepathy war here with the um, Starfleet Academy, so. Right, and I, and I think Deep Space Nine has been setting up that Luxwana is going to have some sort of say-so in it, and obviously the Jemadars going to be involved so right As so it seems like they're all kind of building up to it. yeah cool okay sounds good next week something to look forward to all right so i guess we'll be back next week sounds good thanks for joining us everybody on the review thank you for listening to star trek comic book review all star trek stories and characters are copyrighted cbs studios incorporated All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.